Welcome back to series two of Living Adventurously, conversations with ordinary people trying to live extraordinary lives and working with purpose to make the great outdoors a better place for all of us. Remember, if you like the question cards that I ask at the end of the interview, you can get your own notebook for Living Adventurously from my website or Amazon and then give them a go yourself. And now, <laughs> and now, a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, the Rebel Book Club. Da, da, da. <laughs> hey, I'm Ben from Rebel Book Club. Would you like to start and finish a non-fiction book every single month with the help of an awesome community? If the answer is yes, we are here to help. Every single month, we read one non-fiction book, host a meet-up in an inspiring space, and create a custom cocktail based on that book. Earlier this year, we read The Amazing Doorstep Mile by Al, and he kindly joined two of our meetups to talk all things adventure. Other themes have included climate change, gender bias, productivity, psychedelics, fast fashion, and the science behind happiness. So we read all sorts. We now have members and meetups across London, Bristol, Oxford, Brighton, Barcelona, and Berlin, as well as remote memberships. So if you're someone who never wants to stop learning, we definitely have a home for you. Check us out online at www.rebelbook.club or at Rebel Book Club on Instagram, and join a reading adventure with us. Thanks. Rosie Riley is a dedicated North Sea surfer who settles for cycling, running, and outdoor swimming when in London studying for her PhD. She's an advocate and promoter of sustainability and clean technology, and one of the founders of Adventure Uncovered, whose purpose is to influence social and environmental change through responsible adventure. Its mission is to inspire and motivate outdoor enthusiasts to take positive action towards the health of our planet and its people. Rosie also bakes a mean fruit crumble. Hello, Rosie. Hi. (laughs) Uh, Let's start, please. Can you tell me about the joys of North Sea surfing? Oh, yeah, I wondered what you were going to ask me first. Um, yeah, so I'm, I grew up in, uh, in Tymouth. Have you been to Tymouth? I have, to, yeah. Okay. I've cycled um, coast to coast. Um, um, yeah. So you finished here? Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, thought, I thought you might have been, but um, yeah, I thought I'd check. So yeah, so I grew up here in Tymouth and I'm actually just up here at the moment. Um, I live down in London, but when um, when there was sort of a, a kind of a, an ease in the restrictions around lockdown. I came back up two weeks ago. Um, and so I grew up here and started surfing when I was 10, 11 years old. Um, I think I was telling you, I was like, at the time, the only only girl that went out into the water, really. It was so, yeah, it was <laughs> it was absolutely wild. It was such a, um, such a great, because there's such a good surf scene here and there's like loads of kind of really hardcore, um, waves all the way up and down the coast from here all the way up to Scotland and so like growing up and exploring them was amazing um a lot of the time in winter because that's when the surf's best October November time you'd go out onto the beach and like put your wetsuit on like six mil wetsuit with built-in um hood and and pull on gloves pull on boots and like walk across like snow that's just like sitting on the sand and um, paddle out like gale force winds like literally just have this bit you know, open. Just your face. Just, just your face, yeah. yeah. Just your face showing up like a couple of hours surfing. 
um, and it'd be dark in the mornings and get up at like four o'clock and um, and then yeah and then when I was like 16 I got a, a little sort of sponsorship from the local shop which is really encouraging wow that um, must have been so exciting oh my god the, yeah it was so exciting um, <laughs> and and then yeah and then and now it's great because you know there was some amazing surf here last week and there's such a a scene now such a big crowd of people out surfing and um, which is great to see up, up um just on on Tynemouth Long Sands here and like loads of girls in the water um like loads of young people like old people and there's still those like the same crew that used to go out the whole time when I was growing up um yeah it's it's good I used to go I used to go with a um a group of like six lads and one of them was a taxi driver so at like 4.15 in the morning when we knew the surf was going to be good, he'd come and like park up outside the house and like have the engine running. And it was like a black cab <laughs> and everyone would be like piled in the back of it with surfboards. And um, yeah, then we'd like drive up the coast up into Northumberland somewhere to find some waves. Um, so yeah, it was great. That sounds so, wonderful. Do you think all people surfing in Hawaii are wimps? <laughs> it's yeah totally it's so much easier how much easier is that when you just got board shorts on or a bikini it's yeah it's not the same I said yeah you don't do it you, you do it for very different reasons I think it's much more um it's it's a hardier bunch that yeah. that's if you compared to Hawaii but I would say the waves can be just as good mm. you <laughs> must have seen that film of those two guys in Norway who camped on a beach throughout winter to do winter oh, surfing yeah. do you know what i mean yeah up near yeah they built a, a shack out of beach junk and yeah. lived in that the winter that i can't remember the name of it but that oh it looks no wonderful. you're right and it's and it's before there's no there's no sun is there and at the yeah, end exactly. of the film the sun comes up for the first time yeah. yeah and they were they, they were do, collecting litter throughout the whole winter they collected tons of it and they arranged a helicopter to come in pick it all up in massive bag and fly off and the final line of the film the guy goes oh they'll probably just dump it out at sea which really <laughs> chuckle <laughs> so when you were yeah when you were uh, 11 you were the only girl who started doing mm. surfing why mm. why were you doing that not out riding your pony why what, what were other <laughs> girls doing did you feel like a weirdo um did I feel like a weirdo I don't think I felt like maybe in a way that I was quite proud of being that weirdo if I did at all I don't think so I think like maybe because you know I lived so close to the sea but then I guess all the other girls did as well I lived so close to the sea and and like we used to go down to the beach all the time when we were younger um it was like my older brother had a bodyboard and I thought that was really cool. Um, we went, went bodyboarding a bit and then just saw people actually doing real surfing and like standing up and, um, and that just, that just seemed like something that I wanted to have a go at. And at the time it totally didn't, it wasn't something that I thought about other other girls doing it or not. Like it didn't even cross my mind. It wasn't like, uh, oh, there's no other girls doing it, but I can. It was just like, well, of course, I'm going to give that a go because that looks really cool, you know? So it wasn't yeah. like, a, I kind of didn't think about it. Yeah. And then it was like, I don't know. I think it was maybe when I was maybe like 14, 15 and I was getting getting better at it and paddling out the back and, and you know, catching some bigger waves and like traveling a bit more up and down the coast and that I started to be more aware of 
like the chat that the lads had that I didn't couldn't really be a part of and also didn't really know what like I started to realize oh no wait hang on okay yeah I am the only girl here because these conversations around me are like really male you know and I think <laughs> yeah. that's when I noticed um and kind of became more aware of it but but by that point I'd kind of been accepted and no one like it just felt like part of being part of like a really nice community and a really nice group um and yeah and then as I say I just did it yeah I just did it all the way the entire time that I've lived I lived here growing up I just surfed as much as I could like you know we'd get up before school going before school going free lessons skip school um when I, I remember when I was like first starting out I'd like surf all all day and until it was dark and I'd like see my mum flashing her light like she drive down and she didn't need to drive down but she drive down in the car and was like flash the headlights onto the sea as a way time to say to like home. yeah time to come back time you've got to get out now um oh, that's wonderful so, so how do you cope now living in a big city away from the surf oh, so you know like it's fine when I don't think about it and don't know about it like when I first moved down eight or nine years ago to London friends would like send me texts when the surf was good like photos of waves and stuff and I it's, it's coming from a good place isn't it like oh it would have been great to have you here like da, da, da. you missed out today but actually it's just so hard to see it it's so much it's so much easier just being in Hackney and doing the you know cycling and just doing London things but I do get during when when you know with with Covid and the restrictions around like travel and things like that even though I might not have gone surfing within those first four four months anyway, having that opportunity taken away, you know, the option of definitely not being able to go just made it really hard. And I became really aware of the fact that actually I wasn't near the sea where I grew up and where I feel most comfortable and most at home. And actually I was very much in London, you know. Um, so I think that, yeah, probably like for you as well, it's it became it became harder more recently um because I didn't have that choice it wasn't my own choice not yeah. being not being up here um but in, so yeah, in so normal like, London life um pre and hopefully post coronavirus how do you get your adventure outdoor kicks outdoor swimming and cycling definitely and I think you know I think London's London does that really well in some ways in some ways it could definitely do it better I guess it depends what the comparison is, but you know, I, I cycle everywhere, and there's some great um, up, up out of northeast London and, and down into Surrey Hills as well. There's some really amazing bike rides. I was so <laughs> I was so surprised to see, and this is bad of me probably, how nice Essex get Essex gets. Like I'd I'd always got this like I guess a, an assumption from like TV and stuff of Essex not being that nice, you know, like Billericay and and I'd never been, so it's terrible that I should have that view but actually cycling out into Essex it's so nice and the lanes are so quiet and it's you know just within like an hour from my house cycling you can get into these like beautiful this beautiful countryside so that's nice and then obviously you know like things like the Lido and and obviously they've been closed of course until recently but the ponds um places like that and Hampstead Heath yeah yeah Uh, swimming there is just like amazing london would be so different without it um but the green yeah so green yeah yeah so you're you're in london to do a a phd yeah um, yeah yeah. 
what the, my, the first thing I always do with PhD people is ask for the full title of their PhD. Um, okay, so the working title is What's the potential for smartphone technology to encourage behaviour change in relation to air pollution? Well, that is disappointingly understandable. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I yeah, understand that. Okay. Yeah, it's not. It's I guess it's quite it's really applied. It's deliberately really applied. I couldn't okay. do any of these like really theoretical or yeah. like Yeah. So it's looking at like how we can use smartphone technology and apps to communicate to people at scale and hopefully change their behaviors. And yeah. how can we and how can we use smartphone technology to solve the <laughs> air pollution issues? What how how yeah. far into your PhD are you? So I, mean, I grill you. It's um, it's I've got funding for four years and I'm in the third year now. Okay, so you've um, got three quarters of all the answers then. So how do we <laughs> how do you use mobile apps to solve the air pollution issues? Unfortunately, that's in the quarter of the answers that I don't have. <laughs> so okay. it, um, you've done the, you've done the three years of drinking <laughs> coffee. Now you're entering the blind panic year. Yeah. Oh God. Um, yeah, actually, it's been it's been really interesting. We've I've worked with um, the environmental research group at, at King's College, um, King's College London, and, and I'm based at Imperial College. And we've actually developed a, a smartphone app that tracks people as they walk and cycle around London, um, and it sends that information that that GPS information. So where you move, we send that through a live pollution map of London that we have, and so we're able to tell you exactly how much pollution you've been exposed to along those routes so I guess from like a kind of research perspective it's looking at okay how do we provide information to people in a way that's actually engaging and actually makes them want to uh, change their behaviors in some ways but it's also from like a sort of a technological point of view been really interesting developing that software that provides that feedback in real time mm-hmm. um, because telling you that you know your your walk to work or your walk from King's Cross to, you know, the British Library, you've been exposed to 40 micrograms of pollution. I mean, that doesn't, unless you know how much that is, it doesn't mean anything to you. You're unlikely to change your behaviour, right? But if you know that, you know, that's particularly high or you're in the, the top 10% or, um, you know, it's one of the most polluted places that you can be. And actually, there's a much quieter route, an alternative route that takes four or five minutes longer and you go up through some pang or whatever, then, I know that back route. It's really nice. Yeah. And, and the reason I know it, it's got some sort of special like green footprints marking type thing. So it's sort of some sort of signaling of this is a green way to walk or something. So Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The signposting. Yes. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So so are there currently any apps, not not that you're making or working on, but any apps out in the general world that are that are serving a good purpose, either in terms of air pollution and health or um behavior with that behavior with adventure or are you seeing any apps that are playing a useful role in your own life well i think there's a lot of i i use a lot of the um those like navigational ones um for cycling and there's some really good um you know there's obviously like there's the strava ones and there's all of those but there's like ride gps and commute and all of these like you know slightly smaller ones which are um really really great for people who are 
um, maybe just starting to plan slightly longer rides or, um, you know, get out on bikes and want to go slightly further. Um, yeah, I think, I think, I think there's loads, um, for that, for that type of thing in terms of like the air pollution side of things. What was so, what's so exciting about the app that we've developed is there is no other app out there, which provides you with real time information that's personal to you. So if you look at the other air pollution apps that, that you have like city air and, and, um, and Plume Labs is quite quite a well used one. It's it's it'll tell you what the pollution is like in London or in in Hackney or in, at a smaller and more local level, but it won't tell you what your how much you've breathed on that route in that mode of transport. Um, and we've been able to do that because King's College have got um, a, a a pretty advanced, sophisticated map of London, and they 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 know how much traffic there is. They know what the weather's like. They they look at what the the streetscapes like. So you know, do we have what are the buildings like? How much wind is able to move through those buildings? And they're able to, to to sort of overlay all of that information together and come up with a very sophisticated understanding of what the pollution is like hour by hour. So that's mm-hmm. what we're able what we're able to. Use. So if we had that level of of mapping for the the whole of the UK, then we'd be able to use our app across the whole of the UK, but as it is, we're just constrained to London because that's the, that's the level, the level of detail that we have is, is for London only currently. Yeah. Um, is, is one of your aims to, because to be honest, when I'm in London, I don't even think about air pollution, except sometimes I think, poor, that's a smelly bus. It doesn't, air pollution yeah, yeah. doesn't register in my mind as a problem in Britain compared to mm. lots of other cities I've been in. So is one mm. of the challenges that your app might do to first of all make people realize it's an issue and then change begins uh, yeah absolutely absolutely it's it's that like that uh, crucial uh, raising of awareness but also understanding of is is so important um it's obviously not the be all not be all and end all in terms of behavior change because there's so many other factors which constrain behaviors or or enable behaviors um but uh, and especially something like air pollution, which is essentially invisible, right? So it's not something that we're confronted with every day. Well, we are, but we don't see it. Um, and especially in London, where actually the pollution that we have, um, and and across the whole of the UK, it's it's the same. It's 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 like mainly nitrogen dioxide and different nitrogen oxides, and they're invisible gases, right? So where whereas in in like Beijing or um, you know you see these images of um, like Jakarta and places where you have this smog that hangs in the air and it's a mixture of ozone and the different particulates, the tiny different bits of dust. Um, and, you know, and that is pollution, but it's a very different form of pollution and it's very, it's much more visible. Whereas in London, we don't have so much of an issue with those types of pollutants and it's more kind of gases which are invisible. And so something like an app whereby you can actually try and make that invisible visible um, it's definitely a first step in raising awareness and hopefully trying to incite some sort of behaviour change. Um, yeah, but yeah, luckily I'm uh, well on my way to becoming a millionaire with my award. I was about to say my award-winning podcast. That would be two total lies in one sentence. I'll go with it. I'm well oh, on my way to not, becoming. Is this not award-winning? If I say it's not, will you leave the call? <laughs> yeah. You're going to pull the diva on me. Yeah. Time mouth well, maybe, diva. Maybe, maybe this one will go viral. Well, okay. Well, <laughs> give me some good answers and I will win an award and I'll get okay. so rich. I can buy a Tesla. Once I've got a Tesla, surely that will solve all of the city's pollution problems, won't it? 
absolutely not. No, what? you need to you need to get a you need to get a bicycle, but a re- but you can spend the money on maybe a really nice electric bike or. So are electric cars not the solution to the world? No, no, no. It's complete a complete red herring. Um, they are, of course, it's like they'll play a huge, huge part. But I don't know. I just it. Whenever, whenever you hear people talk about air pollution, then electric vehicles and Tesla's always get brought up, and that's that they they will play a role in cities in the future. I have no doubt about it. But actually, shifting everybody into electric vehicles is just not what we want to be doing. And and if you look at, you know, just for for so many different reasons, like the benefits that you can get from doing more, from walking, from cycling, you know, like in London two-thirds of the journeys that people drive are under three kilometers long wow two-thirds of the journeys so most of the journeys are under three kilometers which which uh, which is definitely walkable for most people or cyclable for most people or you know less pollution and more exercise it's a double yeah Yeah, and exactly And, and electric vehicles yeah they have no tailpipe emissions so you don't have any there's no there's no you know and gas is coming out from from the engine or anything like that, but they still create pollution from um, the brakes and the um, and like the tires and the fr- the friction with the tires on the road, and that's where you get all this particular matter from. But also, just if we look at like what okay, what do we want the cities to look like in the future? Do we want the roads to be lined with big Teslas and electric vehicles, or do we want them, you know, to, to have more space for people to walk, to cycle, to you know, for 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 access and yeah, I, it's it, the electric vehicles are important, but they're not the be all and end all. And I think yeah. those are the things that we want to be want to be pushing for instead. And I actually think that right now, with with you know, with COVID, it's a huge opportunity, um, in a way, to try and actually push forward with some of these like positive changes to the streetscape. I know a lot of the different boroughs around around the whole of the UK are doing a lot with testing out uh, more pedestrianisation in places and um just making more space you know extending pavements having like um safest um streets for people to cycle on because we're going to hopefully see such an increase um in cyclists across the country so it'll be yeah it's something that i'm i'm really hoping that adventure uncovered we can try and help encourage as well um and try and sort of fast forward that process which i think is inevitable you know we want to have cities which are for people well, most of us are going to end up living in cities. And as it stands at the moment, what kind of roads have become places to like park big, huge cars. And yeah, I often think when I'm in towns, <laughs> that you walk down the town and you think, wow, if there weren't any cars here, which is how they were when they were built. They'd look so nice, wouldn't they? Whereas now you just have to squeeze your car into your garden and then the second car up on the pavement and it, it's bonkers, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, totally. Someone some you know, uh, someone was saying to me that when it had when you know, when caf- when um traffic reduced dramatically at the beginning of lockdown, that it really reminded them of like growing up in like um seventies, in the seventies and cities, you know, it was much quieter, much much nicer and it was kind of like that was the normal and now you know everything's so much busier there's there's more of us for start and it's a lot more congested so that's that will be the case but I think yeah it's it's not it's not the only way to to design streetscape 
Um, mm. I think that we can really think like creatively and in new ways about how we can actually redesign our cities so that they work for for all of us. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, so you, you talk, we talked about surfing and we talked about this sort of academic side, but what then led you to adventure and specifically to setting up five years ago adventure uncovered with um, James White? So James, um, James and I were at the time working at a company called Solar Solar Media, which is like. Um, they do a lot of uh, communications around the solar PV industry. And James was like head of the marketing there. And I was doing, producing a lot of their events for them. And it's like, a, we, we, uh, we met there and, and we'd started sort of, we realized that we both liked doing adventures, doing, doing outdoor stuff and surfing. We kind of got talking about surfing mainly. And we started going to these tales of adventure nights in, um, in London that were kind of like on a Wednesday night, I think they were, and they're in just, just in different pubs and we paid a fiver entry, probably been to a couple of them yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're like, we love them. James was quite involved in, um, in organizing those by the end. Um, and I just used to go along every now and again with, with friends. And, and I realized that like, the ones we really liked were the ones where the adventurers and different people talked about the adventure and the trip that they'd been on. And it kind of had a, a wider, like, social environmental purpose to it. Like, they they were the ones that, I, like, I found most exciting and most interesting. Like, listening to what what the like the reason why they're gone and. Um, you don't like people just talking about how tough they are. No, I do, I do, but I think like <laughs> there's a place for that. <laughs> At like, home I, in your shed yeah. with a big poster of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> being, a, being a perfect place being a perfect place yeah, yeah prime example yeah, yeah like the, yeah I think it was we, so anyways we got we got talking about it and then we were having these um meetings in the conference Pops. room at, so, at solar media where we talked okay. like we'd book a, a conference room for an hour and then just go and talk about adventure uncovered and, and how we were gonna like start it and um and and so yeah the idea was to kind of do, do a similar thing where you share stories and adventure with the aim being to inspire people and motivate people to get outside and and to just start adventuring in any small way that they can because we realize how much and, and obviously everyone realizes how much better you feel as soon as you do get out and as soon as you do start just like exploring places close and even just yeah places close to you and so we started we started adventure uncovered with that in mind um and particularly to showcase adventures and and sort of expeditions that do have that that try and kind of create a positive social impact or a positive impact on the environment as well so just being a bit more mindful about about everything um i think what's interesting about that is that most people who in the adventure world whether they're doing it themselves or starting a brand or a magazine they mm. do adventurous stuff whatever it is because they like it and then at some point they either do or do not think, oh, I should try and tack on a bit of doing some sort mm. of good out of all of this kind mm. of thing. Whereas for you, an adventure uncovered that came right in at the beginning. You say that on your website that our purpose is to influence social and environmental change through responsible adventure. So that is that mm. that's at the core of the mission. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it is. Um 
well, it must be, it's on the website. <laughs> well, if it's on the website, it must be true. <laughs> yeah. No, it, yeah, it absolutely is. It's trying to like build that into the very core rather than, yeah, as you say, sort of tagging on afterwards. Um, and we're not like, I'm not here to sort of judge anyone's adventure, but it's more just about finding those that are particularly that I that we find particularly inspirational because of the fact that they have at the very core of it that kind of wider that wider sort of view and and um an aim to them yeah um, and, and there's so all- many right you know as soon as just yeah there's so many people doing amazing things and that um yeah it's kind of just find trying to find the time to cover to cover them all yeah Okay, so an impossible and totally unfair question is that to chuck out off the top of your head a few people who have uh, caught your eye because um, you're really trying. What I know is you're trying really hard to find a, a new generation of artists, filmmakers, writers, adventurers. So who who's caught your attention recently? So, and if you forget any, you can uh, we can put them in the show notes later once they've got angry at you for forgetting them. <laughs> <laughs> okay so well we on um mon- was it no sunday this week we launched our latest online edition called storytellers edition and so i would point you there to look at um a load of different people writers uh, filmmakers musicians podcast hosts um a variety of different people who are all in their own way telling um amazing adventure stories and they're really inspiring um off that the top of my clever. head I'd, I'm going to get specific. So okay, here, I was going to accuse you of a politician. Um, then uh, that was just kind of the preamble. Um, while, the... while your brain was whirring. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so uh, I did a, a I had a really good conversation with Edda Kura, who set at the Black Swimming Association and has just released um, uh, a film um, called A Film Called Blacks Can't Swim. Um, it's out. Uh, you can uh, hire it. Or, or buy it on Amazon. It's absolutely brilliant. And it's a documentary about his kind of realisation um, that uh, at the age of like 40 or so that he still couldn't swim and why that might be. And so he has these like great, um, he documents these great conversations that he has with different friends and family who some are in a similar position, other people, others who who can swim and kind of looks at it, looks at the issue from quite a personal perspective. It's great. That's, that's a, a really 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 worthwhile um film film worth watching um but also there's uh from this edition jess kilroy who's a musician working out um over in the states who uses a lot of um sounds from nature in her own compositions and her own work especially those sounds which are more endangered so particular birds that may be more threatened or just a way just a way of kind of um bringing in those natural sounds and also kind of raising awareness of actually, you know, we're not going to be able to hear these unless we do something about it. And, and so she does a lot of conservation work as well. Um, and then on the, the film side of things, um, Philippe Woodley from Whoop Productions made a really great film that we showed at a film festival earlier this year called The Sound of Silence. And just the style of it is really funky. Um, it's quite, uh, has like a sort of, I don't know, like an urban feel to it um that's great and and again like a, lo- a load of these we've made a load of these um films now public on the adventure uncovered website as well so all of the films from the festival are up there um and 
yeah, so just have a look. Amy Walker, she's a brilliant outdoor swimmer. Um, Karen Parry's got a great podcast, um, nearly as good as this one, called uh, Swim Wild Podcast. Is it award-winning? Um, it's, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> that Amy Watson film, um, that was filmed in the little pool in the Yorkshire's where it was my childhood swimming spot. Yeah, Amy Walker. I, Amy Walker. Amy Walker, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I used to work in the ice cream van oh. there. What, um, Floss, what's it called? Janet's Foss. Janet's Foss, yeah, it looks yeah. amazing. I've got a, oh, I'll break it, I've got a stained glass thingy of it hanging on my shed, on the of, window. Of Janet's Foss? Yeah, oh. yeah, not of Amy, <laughs> of Janet's Foss, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. you did very well. You did you did well then plucking out names. Um right. also I'll add to that the article you did recently with uh, Rosie Watson, mm. um her who's currently running to Asia. That was a really good deep piece about the purpose and the well holding the adventure industry to account is really good. So how does Adventure Uncovered pay the bills? So we Every year, and I'm really hoping to be able to do it again next year, um, we run a brilliant film festival, the Adventure Uncovered Film Festival. Um, and that started off just being like a, a, London, a London-centric thing. And now we take it around uh, five or so different UK locations. So we're open for submissions now for different filmmakers. Um, and we have five or six different award categories that they can enter into. Um, and we try and show films from um, films that are really accessible and also films which are, well, I really like these, but films which are about like the UK and about um, kind of, as it were, quote unquote, like normal people doing like amazing things. Um, and so, so yeah, so we're open for submissions. We've had loads through already, which is really great. And we're hoping that that will go, go ahead next well, the idea was to do it in January, but I think we'll probably have to push it back more like to March just because of, yeah, just because of everything that's going on. Um, mm. And we also run um, different live events. Um, we're really excited that we've partnered with Break the Cycle, um, which is a great organisation based out of London that do cycle touring trips around the UK and Europe, but with a twist. So it's all plant-powered vegan food and you stay at eco-communities. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and um yeah yeah stay at different like eco villages um along the way along along the different trips and that's really nice because it's amazing isn't it how like cycling brings people together in a but like everyone starts off most people come on those trips who don't who don't know each other and don't have a huge experience huge amount of experience cycling but by the end of the trip everyone is so comfortable um everybody knows each other so well and you've built your own sort of group as you moved move around and, and stay at the different the different communities so yeah so exciting to have that like partnership in place for next year as well um and then we've got the all, all of the online stories that we're just sort of hoping hoping to keep moving ahead with um always looking for new people to contribute um articles stories films um but mate yeah i think like writers writers really that's what that's what we're really hoping to 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 show as many new different voices as we possibly can the editions, as you call them, they're essentially like a thematically linked, a, th- a month theme, loads of blog posts c- linked together around some sort of theme. Is that I'm that's right? That's right. That no, no, that's, right? Exactly okay. that's exactly it's, it. And there's clearly a massive amount of work, which I think 
most people won't appreciate. I can I can really appreciate how much work it is, and you've done a really good job in it. Do you have any any thoughts to turn it into a print edition? You know what? We've kind of like talked about it, but only we've only really talked about it. Yeah, there's there's so many. I guess that's a whole new that's a whole new thing, isn't it? Turning something into like a, a print edition. We thought about pulling some of the nicer when we did our when we launched our first edition, which was the UK Adventure, and that stemmed from creating this UK Adventure map, which we've taken around the film festival. Um, and it's now online, so you can see all the different places. You know, it's it's publicly available, and um, you can see all the different places that. Uh, people have sort of pinned on to the UK like Adventure Hotspots, so we crowdsourced it. So actually, Janet Janet Foss is is on there. Um, Milton Keynes, strangely, somebody added Milton Keynes. I've um, done a Milton Keynes micro adventure. Oh, oh yeah. Oh well, yeah. Well, maybe maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's the spot. Um, anyway, so because that was so because that was such a really nice piece, and we had so many nice little articles from people who were like sharing where their favourite spots. For adventure around the UK, we thought about turning that into its own small book or zine or something. Um, and I think like we might still do that. In terms of trying to turn the monthly edition into an online print, I think that's something that we might sort of shelve for now. But yeah, next that's... next month's edition is what is adventure, and then the month after that is um, adventure and climate change. And then we're looking at innovation. So how innovation is changing and changing sort of the, the face of adventure, um, which I think will be in, in good and in good and bad ways, which I think will be a, an interesting one. So, so yeah, that's, that's the difference. Wow. So my next question is, what is adventure? I don't know. What is it? <laughs> what does it be? Because, because you're, you're, you've been talking here about, um, like music musicians recording bird song and people swimming in a pond that's about two meters across uh, and also bike trips so what what what's adventure feel like to you i think it's like oh, i think it's like it has it has to do with for me being being outside not necessarily in kind of like natural environments, but definitely being outside and something about like exploring as well, unfamiliar, unfamiliar places. Um, and so it can be in loads of different forms in terms of like how you do that, whether you're, whether you're cycling, whether you're walking or whether you're exploring that through sound or through, through photography or, um, or through art. But it's about kind of like a, an exploration of, unknown places and people and projects um and then how it manifests itself can can take different can take shape in different ways what what would you say hey this is my podcast i'll ask the <laughs> questions <laughs> um my thinking of adventures changed a lot over the years i've been doing it from a very linear traditional adventure equals suffering and mm. being scared and mm. hopefully coming as near to death as possible but without mm. quite crossing that line um all the way down to now being far more aligned to what you were saying then about curiosity and newness mm. and pushing your brain to uncomfortable places as much as your body so but it's a pleasingly open 
definition, I think, um, which is ironic given that how unopen the diversity of participation is in adventure um you're when you you said just now that what you really like in films is normal people doing amazing things Mm. and there's and you're on a mission to increase participation Mm. in adventure but how do you actually do that without just paying it lip service or without just being trivial or tokenism or condescending or putting a black square on instagram and then and then calling it done and moving on to something else Mm. I know it's so it's so hard. Like that's definitely the biggest challenge that we've we faced since we we set up Adventure Uncovered, and we're still facing it now. And and like, so what, like what are you how, doing about it? So we're we're just trying to. I think what we can what we can do. You have to look at like what the resources that we have and the platform that we have, and like, okay, how, what how can we offer this platform and our own resources and our own time to different people. And to, diff- and to listen to what different people and different groups' needs might be. So it's like starting from a place of like, okay, rather than, than just assuming that what we should do is put a black square up on Instagram and then, you know, write a comment about it. It's actually like trying to start a relationship with different groups of people that we previously didn't have a relationship with for whatever reason and start listening to what those groups are saying they need and how we might be able to help with that. Um, and I think it's a process like it's not it's not going to be something that we can we can fix with an addition for example or, or overnight or with a film festival or by putting um, a particular or headlining the festival with a particular film because it just feels like it makes you feel uncomfortable just even the thought of it and it's quite an uncomfortable thing to it has been an uncomfortable thing for me to think about anyway I'm so aware of the like the the position that that we're in but it's about I think that awareness is at the start and so then trying to understand okay what can as as a as adventure uncovered as a platform for different voices how can we try and make sure that we're that we have that we are representing as many different voices as possible because it's by looking it's you know it's that classic like you can't be what you can't see and so if you if if all you see around you is is a particular type of person doing an adventure whatever that means like you're not you're not going to feel that you also have a place to do that or it'll take a particularly sort of brave and strong person to who who does so yeah I think it's 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 a it's a process but we've started it now and it's it's exciting and it's really challenging well I think you as a platform are doing it better than almost anyone else I can think oh, of so you're, really? you're doing very well yeah um but you say you can't be what you can't see and yet, how then did you, as a little girl, get surfing in the blokey world of northeast surfing? <laughs> I, think, I don't know. Do you think it's different when you're younger? And no. Maybe you don't. You, I think. Sorry, I said no then. I, I have no idea why I said I, no, because I, I don't know. I feel like I don't know. <laughs> okay. Next <laughs> yeah. question. No, I think yeah. it's like, I think there's something in, like, when you're younger you don't overthink things you just sort of go you go for it um and 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 you know maybe I I was like particularly encouraged not to think about those things and what I look like and or you know what who surfing was for or you know I'm from I'm from like a, a family that are really encouraging and I'm like lucky in that so maybe there's something in that as well um or maybe I'm just like, 
you know, shit hot and don't give a shit and just <laughs> maybe there's different rules. I don't know. It's, it's, a, I guess it's just being like not overthinking things too much, but mm. also not having to because it's, yeah. there's, the risk is less. Yeah. And when you're young, you don't yet feel like you don't yet realize that you might be an imposter. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because you're, yeah. And also when you're younger, you're so excited about the actual activity. You don't really care who's doing it. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a wonderful way to be, isn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. I've stolen some questions from your website because I got bored thinking of my own and yours are really good. So, and also <laughs> what I quite like is it's really easy to whoop out hard rhetorical questions on your own website and then i love actually asking people their own rhetorical questions so Josie, <laughs> what advice would you offer an aspiring storyteller um is this where i just whip out one of the answers that i remember yeah, yeah. well hopefully um, this will encourage some <laughs> new writers to sign up for your next editions i think just get started and choose something which interests you on a personal level and start telling that story and it'll change from don't don't overthink it and whatever your first thoughts are as to the story that you want to tell it'll probably change a lot and it should change a lot but just keep going and be flexible as it does when when you're receiving when you receive submissions people trying to write um, about their adventures for you is there any common theme between the ones you receive that are terrible well, we had this, we had this person. Whispering, um, whispering doesn't help here, by the way. We, we, you... <laughs> we had this person last year who kept entering the film festival with like homemade zombie horror films. I'd like, but they didn't have anything to do with adventure and they were made really badly. I'd like, we had like three or four. So James would be like, oh God, there's another one. There's, there's another one that's come through. And obviously you have to watch them the whole way through because you want to respect the, the fact that they've taken the time to enter. You just be watching it like, oh my God, this isn't, and this isn't the only one you've ever made. You've made a few of these and you've also, you know, you've paid the 10 pounds to submit it. <laughs> so yeah, there's a common theme in that. Don't, well, I mean. Know your niche. Yeah, yeah. And if you're going to use zombies, just do it, do it well. <laughs> okay right thank you well move on to the next question uh what is one item you find invaluable for storytelling uh, your ears so like listening listening properly to what to what the to what the person is saying like really listening not 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 telling the story that you think you're hearing or the story that you want to tell but actually really listening to to the people that you're speaking to one thing i've really enjoyed about starting to learn to do podcasts is learning to listen um which partly involves just being quiet and letting the other person finish it also involves not just thinking once this person finishes i can then tell <laughs> a better story of my own <laughs> which probably reflects very badly on myself but le listen learning to listen is really hard so Thing to do, isn't yeah, it? yeah yeah or or and yeah and not just not then just waiting for them to finish and then asking your next question 
because you think you've already heard the answer, right? It's like it's so different. Often you don't actually hear what you hear. <laughs> yeah, I find it really hard actually because I try and I try and come up with a sequence of things to talk about that I think hopefully will be mm. interesting in a relevant order. But then if someone if you say something which then makes me miss out the next three questions, do I skip those three <laughs> questions? So I find that I'm sort of listening to you, but also trying to read, think about what to ask you as well. It's um, yeah, it requires a bigger brain than I'm equipped for. Um, one one of the ways I've really enjoyed asking questions on my podcast is through my magic deck of cards. Ooh. You're looking quizzical, which has got on them questions about life, the universe, and everything, would you be willing to answer a few of my lucky dip cards? Yeah, of course, yeah. To finish with, okay. I, unfortunately, you can't pick them because uh, you're elsewhere, so I'll pick for you. <laughs> okay. If you don't want to answer it, you can say pass, and we'll do the next one. Okay. How personal these? <laughs> well, that's up to you. Tell me about the last silly or small thing that brought you contentment or joy. Oh, so we I made um a crumble earlier in the week and you know that bit in between the top of the crumble and the fruit and it's like the frumble. The frumble. Right? <laughs> like that stodgy, like yeah, yeah. Green, not quite baked. Not quite baked, and it's not it's not the fruit, but it it's just mm crumble okay nice and what what kind of crumble was it um it was rhubarb and gooseberry so so nice but quite like tart yeah tart well it's not you don't want it too sweet no so the um yeah and then i had it with ice cream it was just amazing it was really good and i'd gone like i'd gone big on the crumble topping yeah because no one really likes the fruit that's what i mean the gooseberry was a bit much and like you know yeah. 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 The frumble. Well, that's a brilliant answer. Thank you. Okay. Um, is there something you've dreamed of doing for a long time? This can be crumble related or deeper <laughs> as you wish. Yeah, maybe like. A moonlight surf because I hear when it's a full moon and it's clear it's it is actually light enough to be able to see whether see the waves that are coming have you not done and, that before no I've never done it I've never done it I thought and, that would be quite a common thing to do no normally you just like wake up early enough so it's kind of like still dusky and then as the sun right because obviously here on the east coast we get the sunrise over the sea which is just amazing and so you can wake up, you know, maybe it's 45 minutes before the sun does actually rise and it's dusky and it's light enough to see it. But at night, often the wind drops totally, which is what you need for surfing. Like no wind is better. And so, yeah, I think that would be amazing. I know, I know in the South of France, there's these big um, kind of like torches, which they shine onto the sea near Biarritz and places. So you can surf there at night, but doing it at moonlight would just be amazing especially here september would be a good time when it's the harvest moon the full moon rising at Mm. just after sunset that'd be very nice that's a good answer okay is it better to hunger for more or settle for less what crumble (laughs) 
<laughs> well, the answer there is obvious. Maybe. I think I think hunger. I think hunger for more. I I think yeah yeah. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go hunger for more because so you can. Mm, it's a tricky one, though, isn't it? Because then settling for less is nice, and just being happy with what you have. And but I think I think as a general, if you have to choose one, hunger for more. Because you never know, you never know what you might get. And if you don't get it... permanently dissatisfied. Yeah, well, then you can just settle for less. Okay. Um, what, what What can you do without? What do you not need? A car. I don't think, I just... You just don't. You don't need them. Even to go surfing? The handy, though. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you that. I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah. We can, you know, car clubs, rent a car. Mm. I guess that's having Sharing, car sharing cars. Yeah, sharing cars, yeah. Yeah. But for me, definitely in London, I don't think I can definitely do without that. Okay. I think that's a good, a good point for us to end on. Uh, Rosie, thank you so much for... Keep up the great work with Adventure Uncovered. You're doing a good thing. So thank Thanks, you. Alistair. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Living Adventurously. If you did, please do rate and review the series on your podcast app. It really helps. Please also take a quick screenshot right now. <laughs> and send it to any of your friends who might appreciate listening. There are dozens of episodes for them to dip into. And if you enjoy mulling over the questions on my deck of cards, you can now try them out yourself. I've put them all into a notebook for living adventurously, which you can buy on my website. And whilst you're there, why not sign up for one of my three email newsletters or two other podcast series? Okay, enough of the sales talk. Thank you very, very much indeed for listening to Living Adventurously. I hope you'll come again soon.